Hello, and welcome back to Airwave, a student-led podcast for medical students. My name is Grace, and joining me today is Alexa. Welcome to Airway Management Part 2. Today, we are going to be talking about difficult airway management. And if you want a quick refresher on basic airway management, please be sure to check out our last episode. Um, Definitely a good watch before this one. Hi, everyone. As per always, I'm so excited to be here to discuss difficult airway management. It's something that in my clinical rotations, I've seen a few times. There's been a case of a difficult airway due to previous radiation to the neck. There's been a time where there was a cancerous mass that was obstructing the airway, and even an an event of acute bleeding. So it's definitely something that you will see during these rotations. But what I learned as a medical student in these situations is that it is critical to one, not panic. I repeat, do not panic. And number two, to have an approach. And honestly, one comes with the other. A big part of remaining calm, cool, and collected is knowing that you're prepared to deal with these situations. Now, before we get started, just a reminder that this podcast reflects our views and not necessarily those of our institution. And that this podcast is not intended for medical advice, just good old-fashioned medical education. And as medical students, most of your anesthesia rotation will happen in the OR with patients undergoing general anesthesia. So today we'll be focusing on managing difficult airways in this setting. And as a medical student, it's also above your level of training to be actually able to execute these algorithms. Yes, everyone can sit back and take a deep breath. I promise you that no one is going to ask you to crack a patient on your rotation. But understanding difficult airway management will help you to assist your staff if these circumstances should arise and help you to know when to ask for help. And a quick foreshadow, a big part of these algorithms is to actually ask for help. So to get right to it, today we'll be discussing, one, the importance of the preoperative assessment in identifying difficult airways. That's really key. And two, we're going to walk through three different or three difficult airway scenarios, which are number one, can't intubate, but hooray, you can bag mass ventilate. Number two, you can't intubate, you can't bag mask ventilate, but you can ventilate with an airway adjunct such as an LMA. And the third scenario, which gets a lot of people's blood pressure elevated, mine included, is that you can't intubate and you can't bag mask ventilate. Um, In addition, you can't place an LMA. And that's truly an airway emergency. All right. To start off, as Alexa mentioned, the biggest bang for your buck in difficult airway management is the preoperative assessment. The best offense in a difficult airway management is having a good plan and even backup plans. But how do you make a good airway plan? But it's really important when making these plans to know the patient factors during the pre-op assessment. Remember our pre-op assessment episode? Think back to our first episode of the series. We were looking for patient factors that predict four things. So factors that predict difficult ventilation, difficult intubation, any difficulty with patient cooperation, and difficulty with cricothoreotomy. And just as a tip, remember one of the best predictors of a difficult airway is actually a prior history of a difficult airway. So you can see why your pre-op assessment is super important. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd recommend stopping here and going back. 
So conducting a good airway assessment can help you identify problems before sedating or paralyzing the patient. And this way, you can plan for your first attempt to be your best attempt. And the really cool thing here is that the airway assessment is something you do as a medical student. It's not something that... Um, that is high level. And it's something that if you do thoroughly can really make a big impact in how you manage the patient. So again, would recommend being very comfortable with that. It's one of the most important things you can do in planning for success. The thing is, things don't always go to plan. And we'll take a look at three cases where exactly that happens. And we'll walk you through an approach in these situations. And it's to note that there are many, many different ways to approach a difficult airway. And what we're going to use is the Difficult Airway Society guidelines. And we'll post these in the show notes if you'd like to check them out. And what I would actually recommend, I'm a visual learner, is pulling up those guidelines and follow along with them as we go through these scenarios. It really helps and they're a great resource. Definitely recommend uh, looking at the algorithm as well. Such a visual learner and a good resource. But before we jump in, we want everyone to remember um, this key thing as we walk through our cases, that our goal is oxygenation and not necessarily intubation. And I'll say it again and again so you remember that our goal is oxygenation. We find that medical students, including myself, are often so excited to intubate that they forget our goal is oxygenation which can be achieved through multiple means and not only intubation. All right, so let's rewind our case with a 38-year-old female who was undergoing a laparoscopic tubal ligation who otherwise had a reassuring airway. You met her in the previous episode. But now for our first difficult airway scenario, you can't intubate but can ventilate. So what this would look like is that we would attempt intubation as we normally would, but this time, shoot, you can't see the vocal cords. This is all way too real. I think I'm sweating a little bit. But at this point, the most likely problem, unfortunately, is that as a medical student, you probably aren't holding the blade correctly or the patient's head isn't positioned optimally. I can definitely say I've been guilty of both these things. And it's likely at this point, your supervising staff will either take over or continue guiding and assisting you to intubate the patient. I'm laughing because it's so true. Um, things do get better with more attempts. You'll become more confident. But um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an acquired skill. And um, you won't be an intubating expert your first time around, or at least I definitely was not. <laughs> but let's just say for argument's sake for this episode, it wasn't you and your staff still can't intubate the patient. Remember, our goal is oxygenation, not intubation. After your first attempt at intubation doesn't work, you'll want to call for help and return to our safety of bag mask ventilation. Because remember, we want to oxygenate and bag, mask, bag masking the patient worked before. Here, you could also turn up the FiO2 because you definitely still want to keep your patient oxygenated. So this is why it's so important to determine if you can adequately oxygenate the patient with bag mask ventilation before even attempting intubation. So you kind of have the safety net in place. So where are we? Okay, 
suite. You are able to bag mask ventilate the patient so you know that your patient is stable. You can take a moment, step back, take a break, take a breath. And what you need to consider now is doing something different for your second attempt at intubation. It's really important to note that something has to change. For example, you can ask a more experienced provider to try. You can try and optimize the patient's position. You can ask one of your handy-dandy nurses to apply burp, which is backwards, upwards, and rightwards pressure. And you can also reach for your glide scope or a bougie, which is essentially a guide wire. Now, ideally, you want to limit your intubation attempts to less than three. With each repeated attempt, you're inducing more trauma to the airway, and that can lead to laryngospasm, or even worse, it can make that your patient, who was once able to be bag mass ventilated, no longer being amenable to that airway intervention which, as you can imagine, is bad news bears. And at this point, we should stop and think, what are our options now? Um, we could consider other options, like re-intubating, again, trying something different. We could try placing an LMA, which is a superglottic device that is inserted through the mouth and has a flex- flexible mass that sits over the opening of the larynx. We have had a staff tell us that a blind monkey could place a LMA, but I would argue it's not that easy, but definitely easier than a endotracheal tube. Or we could consider waking the patient up. So you can see we have lots of options. But you want to identify the pros, of con- pros and cons of each approach in collaboration with your OR team to decide what's the best option for the patient and will likely have the best outcome. So in summary, for scenario one, when you can't intubate, but can ventilate with a bag mask ventilation, the key learning points are to, one, always return to your safety net of the bag mask ventilation. Two, try something new with each attempt at intubation. And three, try to minimize your number of attempts with the magic number being less than three. Okay, so I think I'm going to really stress people out with our second difficult airway situation. But in this situation, you can't intubate and bag mass ventilation is difficult. So let's back up to our original case to see what this might look like. So say we couldn't intubate the patient after induction of general anesthesia, and we tried to oxygenate our patient with bag mass ventilation, and that failed too. This is a critical situation, and you should be concerned because the patient is not oxygenating. So we've said it a million times in this episode, but remember, in this situation, the patient is not oxygenating, and that's a problem. So what you need to do in a timely manner is try and improve your bag mask ventilation. And you can do that by reaching for an oropharyngeal or nasopharyngeal airway to lift the tongue out of the way, which which often obstructs the airway. Again, positioning is your friend, and you can try and optimize that by changing the position of the head and neck. And you should also make sure that there's a tight seal between the mask and the face. So if you're like me and you have little hands, that could mean putting two hands on the actual mask and asking someone else to actually bag the patient. Now, 
if you're still not able to properly bag mask the patient, this is when you need to consider other things in your arsenal. So you can look at, again, a superglottic device like the LMA. It doesn't provide a definitive airway like an endotracheal tube. And in a patient, for example, who's at high risk of aspiration because they have high intra-abdominal pressure, it may not be the best option. But again, the key thing here is that you want to oxygenate the patient, and this allows for that. And it particularly comes in handy in patients with the BONES acronym, which, if you remember, are the patients with beards, who are obese, who have no teeth, who are elderly, and who snore. And these are all characteristics of patients in which a bag mask ventilation is really difficult. The LMA isn't definitive. It's a temporizing temporizing measure, but it's a really good thing to keep in your back pocket. And in summary for the second situation was where we can't intubate and can't ventilate with a bag mask ventilation, but we could ventilate with our LMA, we want to remember three things. One, remember our goal is oxygenation. Two, try to use adjuncts to improve bag mass ventilation, which was our oropharyngeal and our nasopharyngeal airways, or consider using an LMA. And three, once our airway is established, like our situation above, you would want to discuss with the OR team to, discuss, to decide what the best course of action was, which could conclude things like aborting the surgery and doing an awake intubation or other things like that. All right, so we made it to our third and final situation, which is stressful to say the least. It's the cannot intubate, cannot ventilate, which means cannot oxygenate. Um, So it's pretty obvious that we have a problem here. So to walk you through that, let's imagine we tried to intubate and we were unsuccessful. We tried to bag mask ventilate and oh shoot, that didn't work either. We tried to use an LMA, and this just happens to be the time where it also fails. At this point, we've run into an emergency, and unfortunately, our options are pretty limited. Here, what we need to do is consider a surgical airway and perform a cricotherotomy. Wow, there was a lot to go through, Alexa. You really got my blood pressure going this morning. But remember, a surgical airway is a last resort. But if you ever find that you can't intubate and you can't oxygenate someone, you have to be decisive in going forward with it. It can be the difference between life and death. But again, medical students, deep breath. This won't be you performing it, but it's good to know when it's required. So in summary, all these situations can definitely seem overwhelming, and we know we gave you a lot of information. But if you remember anything from this episode, we want it to be these three things. One, ask for help. doesn't matter who you are, the medical student, the resident, a staff with tons of experience, always important to ask for help when you run into tricky situations. And two, remember your toolbox of different airway options that you can use. So remember that you have bag mass ventilation and all of its adjuncts, such as the oropharyngeal, nasopharyngeal. You have your superglottic airway devices like your LMA and endotracheal intubation. And finally, our surgical airways. So definitely knowing the different options that are available to you is really important. 
And three, probably the most important goal and my favorite, is that your goal is oxygenation and not intubation. Definitely some great take-home points there. And I'd really like to emphasize that difficult airway situations are stressful, even for experienced providers. And as medical students, if you ever encounter one of these situations, even though you might feel scared or embarrassed to ask for help, it's important that you do so. Good advice that I received once is that it's better to be a student for asks for help way too often than one who overestimates their abilities and run into trouble. The other thing that I would like uh, to emphasize from experience is it's also important as a medical student to know when to essentially take a step back and to let their staff manage the airway. A difficult airway situation, as I mentioned, is an absolute emergency and as a medical student is above your level of training. And as much as you might want to get involved, um, sometimes it's best to take a step back to use this as a learning experience to watch what your staff is doing, um, but to essentially take a back seat in those scenarios. That's some really great advice, Alexa. I definitely have to agree with that. And maybe the last thing we'd like to point out that in any emergency situation, regardless if it was an airway emergency or any other sort of emergency, it's important that you should be communicating with your team consistently and effectively. So some strategies can include having a team leader that vocalizes um, each step to make sure um, that each step is being performed um, adequately and everyone is being supported. So thank you so much for joining this week's episode. Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode of Difficult Airway Management. We hope you learned a thing or two about managing difficult airways. As a summary, this week we discussed the importance of the pre-op exam in identifying difficult airways, and we walked through what to do if things do not go as planned using the Difficult Airway Society algorithm. And as per usual, a big thank you goes out to doctors Sean Ja, Nick Tiberman, and Jordan Album, who are residents of the McMaster Anesthesia Program, for editing these episodes, in addition to Gwen Lubstead. And of course, this episode would not have been possible without the continued support of Dr. Daniel Corlevani. Now, make sure to check out our website for the show notes, in which you will find the handy-dandy difficult airway algorithm for future reference. And feel free to tweet at us at our Twitter account at Airway Podcast and follow us on Instagram for any questions or suggestions. And if you like what we do, please like us and uh, give us a rating on the resource where you get your podcasts. And until next time, keep working hard, stay healthy and safe, take some nice deep breaths and count back from 10. <laughs>